Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Jeff Henderson. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Jeff, and we're now over 140 episodes on the podcast. So thanks for being a part of this community. It's been fun to see us grow and learn from one another. We've had some fantastic guests. But we're today going to do a best of episode, and we're going to go all the, way, all the way back to the very beginning. And in the very beginning, we shared some lessons about what we have learned as launchers, everything from, from Kevin with Tony Robbins' book to Shane with his Chick-fil-A One app, David with the spicy chicken sandwich, and then some of the work I've done with Gwinnett Church. So we share some of our best practices. And as we do this, we're going to talk you and walk you through the launch loop about any loop that you should go through for any launch so we're going to go all the way back to episode number one and if you actually were there for episode number one then i think it's helpful to remember that sometimes we don't need new information we just need to be reminded of what we already know so if you're launching something i bet you're on this launch loop at some some part of this process and so this episode will help you take that good intention and turn it into reality The, the launch design sequence, the, the sequence that really any organization or person can follow, whether you're launching in a retail space, business space, nonprofit space, and it's so helpful. So wherever you, you are, if you're launching a, a, a dream, an idea, a business, or you're in an existing organization, this sequence is something that you should follow. And David, give us a quick overview of how you guys really kind of stumbled across this at Chick-fil-A, and then we're going to dive into the last three of the five stages. Well, if you check out uh, the, some of the previous podcasts, you'll hear a little bit more about our stories individually. But um, I work at Chick-fil-A, Shane does as well. And as we set out to launch an innovation practice almost 10 years ago, we learned a lot from other organizations. And um, one of the things we learned is it was really helpful for us at Chick-fil-A, a retail brand, have a space where we could practice innovation. So we launched a big innovation center we call Hatch. But we also learned that it was really helpful to have a process. And the process that we adopted is a form of design thinking. And design thinking is a discipline that's it's taught out at Stanford University. There is a, a leader at a, a world-class design firm called IDEO, Tim Brown. He wrote a book on it called Change by Design. I think you can probably find a lot of other content on design thinking if you just search it online. That's not the Tim Brown that won the Heisman Trophy, though. Different Tim Different Brown. Time. Okay, okay. Different just, Tim just Brown. Joking. That would have been impressive. Yes, that would be. <laughs> But we adopted a version of design thinking and put some of our own words around it, but it's essentially the same process. And that's what we're sharing is the, the launch sequence, really. What we've learned is a process helps. And this is something you should think of almost like a stage gate process. There are five stages to it. When I say stage gate, think downhill skiing during the, the Winter Olympics. Right. And if you're a downhill hill skier, you've got to go around these gates and you can't miss any. If you miss one, you're out, you're disqualified. Almost by the same token, you don't want to skip steps. You want to work your way through it. And before you go to the second step, you need to clear the first one. So here, here's the, the quick overview, and then we'll begin to unpack these last three. It begins with understanding. And that means before you just jump on an idea, 
whether it's a product, service, a book, whatever, you have to understand who is it for? Who's the customer? Who's the end user? What's the marketplace? What's the context uh, around which your idea is going to land? That's going to govern to a large degree, uh, ultimately, how successful it is. So you, you get past, understand there's a lot of research, and you get past that stage, and then that informs what we call the imagine stage, which uh, imagine is almost another word for ideation or brainstorming, but that's when you really think about a lot of ideas. And I remember in the previous podcast, you made a great point. Don't get too married to your one idea. Be open to derivations of that idea, even radically different versions of that idea. But that's imagine. And then that leads to where we're going to spend some more time today, prototyping, which is developing almost a, um, a rough model of your idea before you refine it too much. Then you go to validation. That's testing it. And once you feel like you've tested it, learned everything you need to learn, made the appropriate uh, modifications, you're ready for launch. And the launching process, um, that's, that's an art in and of itself. That's something that we've all had some experience with. And, and over the course of time, we'll look forward to sharing lessons we've learned around that final stage. Right. So what we want to do on this podcast is go back, starting in the middle part of this, and, and talk about prototype. And I think that's really one of the really helpful things for Hatch is that that's really a place where you prototype and kind of build things to see if the, the solutions that you're coming up with actually work. So tell us about that stage, David. Well, Hatch um, is the name of the innovation center that we built at Chick-fil-A, and it was about an 80,000 square foot warehouse. We needed a big place because we worked on small ideas, but we did also we also built real restaurants, um, life-size restaurants. We might build them out of uh, rough materials like foam core. Uh, in some cases, we would build them with totally finished materials as well, all but because it was easier to learn from your mistakes in that setting than it was if you went and built in the marketplace. You're less likely to make any kind of change um, when it's real. And so Hatch is a place where nothing's precious. Everything can be changed. It's okay to, to fail. It's very flexible. And, and that embodies really what this prototype stage is all about. Uh, we learned that there can be um, really crude versions of your idea. We call that low-resolution prototyping. And then highly refined versions of your idea, high-resolution prototyping. But you probably want to start crude. And if, if it was a physical object, you could take very rough craft materials and make just some general approximation of what you ultimately want to uh, put out there. If it's not a physical idea, but it's content-related, you have a rough draft, you have an outline, Right. And you begin to, to, to assess, is this going to work? You also learn, where do I need to make some changes? This isn't going like I thought it would. And because it's a prototype, it's easy to make changes. It's cheaper to make changes. If you think about a restaurant, a restaurant is a multi-million dollar venture. You definitely want to figure out where you've got problems before you go spend several million dollars building an actual place. And so that's what we do. And that's what prototyping is all about. So bottom line, I would say is before you rush to this beautifully crafted finished product, create some rough versions of what you think you want to launch and play around with those because inevitably you'll find opportunities for improvement and you want to find those while it's easy and less expensive to build them into your ultimate design. Yeah. Now, Kevin, this is, isn't just true in the restaurant space. I mean, you're in the author space. So that's the great thing about blogging. 
right, is that you can kind of prototype some of your content and get it out there and see see what part of your content's resonating. Indeed, I, I mean, we can go from, uh, so if you say you want to, I want to develop a book, the blog's a great, uh, a very great prototype for a book. A tweet might be a great prototype for a blog. You know, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, you're, you're thinking, how can I summarize this idea in its most small, succinct form and see if people resonate with it? And then I can expand on it. Right. I mean, so there's a really great quote from from Jeff um, where he helps people un- empathize with others by asking what's it like to be on the other side of me. Well, based on how much that statement resonated with people over the years, if you wanted to expand on that idea about now, let me help you develop a process to go about doing it. We could all be pretty confident that people want to get it because you've, you've, you've put it out there enough as a prototype to so resonate with the idea. And now you have the confidence you can go invest time in validating it or, or launching it. Um, and so I would tell people all the time, if anything you're trying to do is, is around a story or content or a message, figure out some way to do it. I mean, in Seth Godin's tribes, he talks about the power of manifesto, saying, hey, if you're trying to engage with an audience, sometimes the best thing you can do is put a manifesto of what the core beliefs are and say, do people resonate with these core beliefs? Because that's what this is all about. If you resonate with this then you are, you're prepared to join this long before you know what it looks like, long before you have t-shirts and other kinds of things. Do we really have a community here? Well, a manifesto is a great way to figure that out. And so if you look at any of, I mean, in, in history, uh, whether they've been uh, destructive or productive as, as audiences and tribes, you can find where there is some doctrine or connection to what is the core beliefs of this audience. That's another great way to prototype even before you build it. Obviously, Tom's is a great example of that. Long before your shoes, you can see if there's an, an audience who really care about helping others right. through their purchases and through their behaviors and how they how they spend their time and their money. And then from there, you can figure out anything else. Yeah. And so, so when you do that, Shane, so you prototype, there's the next fourth stage, which is kind of scary because then you, you kind of test it out there a little bit. So tell us about the validate stage. Well, if prototype is putting form to an idea or concept, and, and David said it extremely well, there's low res and there's high res, but it's in it's really in a low risk situation. I mean, you're trying to figure it out. You may write a you know a one page blog. It, you, you haven't you haven't published the book yet, right? Right. Then validate would be the testing of that idea or concept, and this is a key word with objectivity. And this is where most of us as launchers make uh, really a, a sometimes, oftentimes, big mistakes because you get all this energy. You've understood the problem. You've you've imagined some solutions, and then you've prototyped. You're you're low res, high res, and you're ready. You think you're ready, and so you're thinking, let's launch. And this is where it's critical. You have to go out into the marketplace, and with objectivity, you have to get feedback. And so I love what Kevin said about you know a lot of authors nowadays, especially are. They're seeing which blogs resonate with their readers before they actually put a book together. Like, what chapters do they want to know more about so they can spend more time? And that's really that objective kind of critical thinking around an idea. I I often tell um, not only our team, but remind myself to stay in neutral as long as I possibly can on an idea or a concept. And oftentimes when you take, when you get into prototype and you go to the marketplace, you're so vested in it that you think this has to work and so you make it work versus staying in neutral and really trying to understand what is it that your customer truly wants. Hitting the pause button, allowing those customers to tell you 
exactly what it is or what tweaks that you could make, therefore, to make the product that much better. And there's a lot of different examples out there. You're probably thinking of some of those as we talk right now, but specific to Chick-fil-A, I can't tell you the number of times that we thought we had nailed the idea and I'm grateful for those folks that have hit the pause button and with some objectivity have said, let's stay in neutral and let's make sure, for example, a table marker. We were convinced that the number system would work at Chick-fil-A for a customer that had to wait on an order and we just give them a number and they'd go out to the table and a lot of other brands have done it that way. But the more we began to unpack for them what it is they wanted, we realized we needed to do something different. And I'm so glad we did. We stayed in that neutral position long enough to really validate what we thought was a good idea. And that's a critical stage. And so my, my encouragement would be do not skip that stage gate because it's a critical one. And I think of the five stages, this may be the one that you want to go through the fastest <laughs> so you would justify it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're tempted to because you've actually got a really good idea. Typically right. going into the validate stage, oftentimes that's just a matter of taking a couple of the prototypes and getting them out there. But the challenge is sometimes the prototype is so good or you think it's so good, you're like, you know what? We'll just skip it this time, and we'll we'll go straight we to know. launch. And, and we know it. We're smart enough, exactly. Right. And so that that I do think is really really important. Yeah, the name of the stage gate is not rubber stamp. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's a great way to put it. It is validate, and you do that with objectivity. Right. Well, I one of our upcoming launch and learn podcast guest is David Butler. He's the innovation director at Coke, and we're going to talk about the book that he wrote, Designed to Grow. And I pulled up some of my notes from his book, but one of the notes that I think validates what you're talking about, by the way, is too many traditional marketers plan big campaigns, spend big bucks, only to search at the end for favorable data to justify all that money spent. I couldn't have said it better, David Butler. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that that takes courage to be able to, to, to be able to do that. Um, so that's that's validate. And then the final stage is the final stage is actually launch. And uh, that is rolling out the solution in real time in space. But one of the things I want to talk about, guys, is uh, is the phrase that we've heard, especially in the lean startup phase, is minimum viable product. So let's talk about what does a minimum viable viable product look like, and let's let's do it both Kevin in your world and David and Shane in your world. What does a minimum viable product look like? So you're going to roll out a big new menu product or a new customer service initiative, but how do you do that and launch it in a minimum viable way? So what does that look like? You're you're kind of launching that idea. I'll give you. Um a very recent example. We started with a product that we thought might just be a seasonal product, frosted coffee. If you're a Chick-fil-A fan and you've never had frosted coffee, you need to try it. It's it's um it's iced coffee blended with uh, sure. Chick-fil-A ice cream. No, it's really good. It's, <laughs> it's it, great. It's and it is actually a relatively low calorie yeah, treat, so you can um, you can enjoy guilt-free. But we thought it might just be a limited time seasonal yeah. product, and that's a way to kind of get it out there and to see what kind of reaction we got and we got a great reaction and so it is fantastic and so we made the decision it's on the menu for the long haul so that's one way to sort of ease into it one that we've experienced just really in the last couple of weeks well, I, I think of Kevin, your world. Um, I think they're referred to as ebooks oftentimes, but you know, sometimes that's often a collection of blogs, and it's right before you think about launching a book. But you're actually going to take a, a piece of that product and kind of say, "Here's here it is for free," and you want to get 
customer reaction to that. Man, that's, that's so solid, uh, Shane. And, and I mean, a podcast is another great example of a minimum viable product because of the fact that you have the ability, depending on how the audience resonates with it, to start selling advertisements against the podcast and monetize it in real time. However, you can take the same piece, turn to audio books, have it transcribed, turn to book. I mean, there's, there's a thousand ways to do it, but I think the key thing about it is it's a product, which means something must get sold. And I think that, and so I think that's a big thing for people in my space sometimes that they're so big on seeing it resonates through free that they don't make that intention of, well, is someone willing to spend money for it? And so I would tell you all the time, once you're in that launch phase, we need to be looking at something that creates a sustainable business model to see, does this make money? Are people willing to pay for this? Because there is so much free information out there. Um, so a really great example for an author um, or even for Dave Ramsey, for an example. So he takes his business principles. He wants to train his team. He starts training his team for free. They invite guests. He says, wow, this is resonating. Let me turn to a book, right? Or turn to an event. He turns so he turns into a, a small event in his office where he's selling people the ability to come in here and teach about his leadership practices. The event starts selling out. He says, okay, I'm going to make this a book. Then he turns into a book. Then he, then he goes back and reinvents the event. And now it's a you know $10,000 plus event. You show up for a week with some of the best leaders and his team helping you understand their practices. And so, I mean, it was totally through the launch uh, sequence using design thinking that all that kind of came to be, even if it wasn't necessarily using that terminology. But by the time of minimum viable, pro- viable product, he was charging someone money to see, is this worth that next step? I mean, FPU and financial peace, everything's doing one-on-one coaching at his church. Well, he, I'm booked out. Let me see if people pay me for this. They'll pay me for this. Can I, can I charge my class while I'm not there at all? Well, and the lesson in that for me is I can't imagine Dave Ramsey from the very beginning thought about all of those extra products, right? Right. This process is so dynamic because I think part of it is get through the process and launch and then go right back to the very beginning and start thinking about, okay, let me truly understand why my customer enjoys this product. How are they using it? What is it that in addition to the product I just launched, they would want in return for that? And so that's when you go back into imagine and then prototype another product and then validate it. And it's, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? It's cyclical. It's cyclical. That's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and that's perfect because I mean, because if you're Dave Ramsey, and you're such a dynamic personality, people would assume they're buying the person. And what Dave's found out is his people are buying the process. When, when you are really at your financial wits end, you could care less who has the information to get you out of trouble. You want information. Now, he's packaged it well, but people are buying into the proven process. He knows that. And he's done a fantastic job over time. Now, obviously, his understanding methodology is a radio show. We're on the radio five days a week talking to six million radio listeners. You have an ability to understand their problem. And I think also that this may be one of the rare times the church might have a little bit better understanding of the business space because we have to do this. We we have to, you know, we start in schools. We try to find rented space, even our church. I mean, even though you know, we have a building now, it was we were starting a ballroom. We actually used the space of another church, but we're trying to put that launch out there to see if, if nobody shows up, maybe this isn't something we should we should start. And you've got a beautiful facility now, but you learned a lot that informed the design of that space 
from the experiences you had when you were renting and using other people's facilities. Right. And that's why this process is so, to your point, Shane, even though you didn't know the word, so (laughs) (laughs) So it's such a very helpful process to be able to go through. So we would encourage you as wherever you are in your launch process to try to determine where you are in the lean in. But I think it is back to the earlier point, validate maybe the stage that we want to skip through the most. So, so finally, to wrap up, any other thoughts as we kind of close out on uh, on this launch design sequence? I've got a word that I hope is encouraging um, to all of our listeners. I would say brace yourself for some negative feedback. Inevitably, when you're hanging it out there and you're putting any kind of content, product, idea out in front of other people, somebody is not going to love it like you do and you may not get great feedback and um two thoughts here one is you want to learn from what you're hearing especially if there's kind of a consistent pattern that's going to speak to an opportunity to make some sort of modification to your offering but even if it's awesome somebody's not going to love it and don't let that discourage you right Uh, it's not probably for everybody it's 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 gonna it's gonna serve a target market and they may love it and eat it up and that is success and that's okay so the goal is not to make every single person that encounters your idea or product uh, a, a lover of it you just need to find your people yeah. and to hook onto that David I think that is why the essence of launch university I mean it was right. really about surround yourself with other launchers. Uh, integrate with folks that are having some challenges like you and that are, you know, maybe dealing with some of the the issues that you are, but surround yourself with also the people that are really positive. I mean, that can really encourage you during some of those downtimes where you're, you're frustrated and maybe you have gotten some negative feedback, but quite honestly, I think when you're with a community of other launchers, it can really be beneficial. And this is David. I want you to know on behalf of Jeff, Shane, and Kevin, how grateful we are that you're taking time to join us and go on this journey with us together. Um, We're learning so much from one another, from you guys, and from the people that we meet. And in fact, if you get ideas of folks we might want to talk to and interview on behalf of uh, the podcast, love to hear from you. Don't forget to check out the show notes. We try to do the hard work for you and post um, details there. We know you're not always in a position to write it down. So go check out the uh, the show notes at the website. And I got to put in a plug. We're so excited uh, that one of uh, one of our original mentors, Jeff Henderson, he's been working on a launch of his own for the last couple of years. And his new book, Know What You're For, is about to hit. At the time I'm recording this, we're about six weeks away, but you can go to Amazon even today and pre-order Know What You're For by Jeff Henderson. A phenomenal book. We've recorded a couple of episodes where Jeff unpacks some of the big ideas behind the book. It's not just stuff he dreamed of. He's been living it, and it's been instrumental to uh, how he's led Gwinnett Church and how they've become uh, so successful in impacting the community that he lives in on the north side of Atlanta. So go check it out. We would encourage you to buy the book, um, help Jeff out, but also help yourself and your team learn how to know what you're for and how to be difference makers in that respect. Thanks again for joining us. As always, uh, we're honored by uh, having you as part of the group. Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.